Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Hello everyone. Hope you're all well. It's good to be back here. It's quite funny, actually quite a few of your faces are actually becoming quite a bit familiar now actually, so it's quite nice to be here again. Feels like a bit like a home from home really. So thanks for having me back. It's always good to come to Donny. Um, it's good to see a church plant action. I think in New Frontiers and the group of churches we're a part of, we always hear about church planting. And I suppose we come from a big church. So it's always good to come somewhere like this and actually see a church in its initial stages. And actually see what God's doing amongst you. And I find it really encouraging. And I actually love coming here and seeing what God's doing amongst you. And I actually don't think there's anything more adventurous than being part of a church in its early stages. It must be hard, but also it's exciting and it must be very, very adventurous. Because you guys are on the front line. And you must know that you guys are on the front line. And I'm convinced that there's no, no more effective way to proclaim the gospel to a new area than through planting a new church like you have here in Doncaster. Where the sharing of the gospel is rightly on the forefront of your agenda. And what I'm also convinced about is that the gospel not only needs to be proclaimed, but it needs to be demonstrated in tangible ways. And there's no better way to do this than through this church here, than through you guys, living out the gospel together in the community, living out what it means to love Jesus, what it means to care for one another sacrificially, what it means to love one another and give to one another. So it's a privilege to be with you here this morning. Jesus says this in Matthew 5.15, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Guys, I firmly believe you guys are called to be a light, like this passage says to Doncaster. You're not called to be hidden, but you're called to be on a stand before the town, displaying God's love. A love that actually isn't evident anywhere else in the world, but actually causes people, like this passage says, to praise your Father in heaven. So that's a massive calling. And I just want to check before I go on, if you want to be a part of a church like that, just raise your hand. Good. Good. That's a good basis to start on then. So what I want to talk about this morning is how we can be, a, be an effective counterculture to the world around us. For the way we are devoted to one another. For the way we love one another. For the way we look out for one another. And how this, this unique community God is building here in Doncaster can draw people to worship God. So if you've got your Bibles here, it'd be good if you could turn to Ephesians 4. I want to talk this morning about unity. It's a well-known passage, this, but uh, one of which I think we can actually draw a lot out of this morning. If you just wondered if anyone would be so brave enough as to read out verses 1 to 16. Yeah, good for it. Thank you very much. That was very well read. <laughs> Thank you. Um, great. I love this chapter in Ephesians. A lot of you probably be quite familiar with it. But in it, Paul sets before us a church that is united, a church that is mature, and a church where every part plays a role. And I don't know about you, but I love my war films. I absolutely love them. Uh, Kate hates them. She loves her sissy romantic kind of romantic comedies. Um, but one of my favourite TV programmes in recent years is a programme called Band of Brothers. Has anyone seen that? Yes, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, it is good. Um, basically the program is seven episodes follows a group of about 20 American soldiers 
throughout various battles in the Second World War. And every episode focuses on a different soldier and what abilities they bring to that team, what skills they bring, what unique giftings they bring to that team. And uh, as you go throughout these various battles in the Second World War, we see that these guys actually look after each other, they heal each other's wounds, they sacrificially give for one another, even when it comes to giving their own lives. And so much so that by the end of the war, by the end of the series, we see a group of guys who look at each other as brothers. And it's actually this kind of image that Paul is describing here in the church in Ephesus. But obviously, what Paul is describing is obviously something a lot greater and a lot grander, something with eternal consequences. Uh, that we the church to be a band of brothers and sisters who love one another, sacrificially care for one another, and all bring different gifts and abilities to the team. And I believe that Paul's teaching in Ephesians 4 teaches us how we can be a church like this. How we can be a community made up from all different kinds of backgrounds, different likes, dislikes, different languages, uh, but still have a love for each other that is unparalleled anywhere else in the world. And I'm convinced that this chapter will therefore provide us with the answer as to how we can tangibly demonstrate God's love to those around us. How you guys can tangibly demonstrate God's love to Donnie. How you can do that. And it's through our unity, or as I prefer to call it, our oneness. And in this passage we have just read, Paul says this in verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One of the most important things that we can draw from this passage is that Paul is clear that we already have unity. We already have it. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now correct me if I'm wrong here, to be able to keep something, you actually have to have it in the first place. And Paul makes it quite clear there that our unity comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. It is supernatural. A good example of this is seen in Acts 2, where you have Jesus has said to his disciples, to his followers, to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. They will, they will have power. And uh, they're waiting in a room, and the Holy Spirit appears in power. The Holy Spirit comes in power, and they have fire on their heads. And Peter goes out and preaches the most amazing sermon to 3,000 people that day. And they see 3,000 people added to their church on that same day. And that's 3,000 people, as the passage says, from every nation, every different language, different cultures, different views, different likes, dislikes. By the end of the chapter, immediately we see a people devoted to one another. It's amazing. So these people are saved and they're almost overnight they're devoted to one another. And I uh, just want to, imagine, just want to kind of stop here and just try and imagine that here in Doncaster. This happened in Doncaster. You saw 3,000 people saved from this town. From every different corner of this town. The rich, the poor, different ethnic backgrounds. And they're all saved on the same day. They all come to this church. Yet overnight they're devoted to one another. It's an incredible picture, isn't it? It's an incredible picture. And this unity wasn't developed through careful consideration, through lengthy debates, through sitting around a table and saying, how are we going to figure this out? But it's actually something that came naturally because when you're saved... When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, when we, have, we have the Holy Spirit dwell in us. He comes and dwells in us. And when we are saved, the Holy Spirit enables us to see through our differences. He unites us in purpose so that we all worship in the same God. We all worship in Jesus Christ. And we are joined by the body of Christ. Verse 4 says, There is one body 
and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So guys, we are one body, we are led by one spirit, we all have one hope, we all have one Lord Jesus Christ, we all have one faith, we all have one baptism, we all have one God and Father. Paul uses the word one here seven times. So I think the guy's trying to make a point actually. The point being that even though we're all different, we all come from different backgrounds, we're all very different from each other. Actually, who here would say they're, they're the same as anyone else here in this room? Not many of you yet. Even though we're all different, we actually have a lot in common with each other. Um, we're all one. And what he's also showing is actually something quite remarkable, something quite astonishing. That it's through our oneness as a church that we actually de- demonstrate the oneness of God. That the church is called to display the unique character of God, the Trinity, to the world. That our God is a God who loves relationships, and at the very heart of God is love. And there's no greater relationship than that that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I don't think any of us here will adequately be able to explain the Trinity. I know I won't be able to, because it is a mystery. But what I do know is this, there is one God in three persons. There's only one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father loves to glorify His Son, Jesus, so much so that He raised Mark to see to His right hand. Jesus loves to honour His Father, even so He was obedient unto death. He chose to go to that cross, He was obedient to His Father. He chose to be crushed for our sin. He honoured His Father. And the Holy Spirit loves to honour Jesus. When we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives with us, and he, he makes our focal point Jesus, and he helps us worship him. And these, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they love each other passionately, they're totally preoccupied with each other. So when we are saved and receive the Holy Spirit into our lives, it will be our natural inclination to build good, meaningful relationships. And that's why it's important that we don't see the Holy Spirit as an it. The Holy Spirit isn't just some sort of mysterious force, like you see in Star Wars, you get the force will be with you. And he just swans around. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. And when we are saved, he comes and he makes his dwelling in us. When we are saved, God comes and makes his dwelling in us. And for order, in order for us to understand unity, we actually need to understand that it's a result of having God dwell in us. Having the Holy Spirit actually dwell in us. So the church is called to be a passionate to be a reflection of the passionate love that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to display the beauty of the love within the Trinity. And uh, I think that's an absolutely amazing calling. It's outstanding. Um, even though we're people of many differences, many different likes and dislikes, very different from each other, we're called to love each other in such a way that actually reflects God's nature. That you guys here are strategically positioned here in Doncaster to reflect God's nature to this town. To be a light to this town. To show God's very character. And this is counterculture to the extreme. We live in a world where actually difference is seen as the enemy. People don't know how to get on with anyone who is different. In fact, they shy away from it. In fact, people like to judge one another if they are different. They just can't stand against normal people like that. And uh, I suppose a good example of this is Big Brother. Obviously we started a new series, I have to admit I haven't watched any of it. Um, but all I do know of Big Brother is that you get a lot of bitch fights, 
You get a lot of infighting, a lot of gossiping. You get a lot of full-blown fights. And the funny thing is the country loves to watch it. We all love to watch it. Love to see conflicts. We love, we love to pass judgment on one another. Anyone who's different, we like to pass judgment. And you know what, though? This country is crying out for unity. The society we live in, as we know, is full of broken families, class divides, it's full of racial divides, it's full of gangs, religious divides. The funny thing is, I think people are genuinely looking for unity in this country. They know the country needs it. And actually, politicians are trying to get there, but actually don't know how. And what we need to do as a church, what Doncaster needs to do as a church, is show people that there's only one way to real unity, and that is through the love of God. That is our calling. So on the back of this then, what we must therefore not forget is that Paul urges us to keep every effort, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He urges us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's our high calling, it's our responsibility to make sure that we keep our oneness. That we don't give up on building good, meaningful relationships. That we don't allow our hearts to harden against each other. And that we don't try and find fault in one another. It's, so actually, it's really sad actually when you see Christians falling out with one another over the smallest little things. And um, it's not actually our own personal peace that's at stake. It, it is, but obviously there's more at stake. And it's actually the church. Our motivation should be for the glory of Christ and for his great church to be united and magnificent. That should be our motivation in building this church. So we should look after our friendships. We should treasure them, look after one another. And Jesus said this in John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's the love that we display for one another that makes us distinctive. It makes us distinctive from the world around us. It's what separates us from out there in a way. And it is attractive. And people will be attracted to it. By loving one another here in this church, people will actually be able to tell that you are who you say you are. That you are followers of Christ. So it's important that we cling to this. So what I want to look at this morning are, um, look at some of the ways in which we can make every effort to keep the unity in the church. And there are three points that Paul makes at the beginning beginning of this chapter. In verse 2, Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So my three points this morning are quite simple. So we're to to be completely humble. We're to be gentle. And we're to be patient, bearing with one another in love. So first of all, be completely humble. And... uh, I think a big misconception about humility is that it's admitting that you're worthless. And actually humility is thinking, believing and knowing that your worth comes from God. That's where your worth comes from. It's often seen as a dirty word. Actually humility is a sign of great strength. And the good thing about it is that it's not your strength, it's God's strength. When we're humble, we're saying, actually I'm not strong enough, actually I am weak. But actually in God's strength, I am strong. And humility is the opposite of pride. Pride actually destroys unity because it has no place for it. Pride actually places ourselves right at the centre of the universe. And this might sound a bit drastic, but it's true. 
It puts my need first. It puts our need first. It puts us above everyone else. So much so that we don't actually need anyone else. And pride is actually anti-everything that Paul is describing here in Ephesians 4. And the problem is that it can so easily sneak up on us. You know, I always used to think that I was quite a humble guy. <laughs> Growing up, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I don't think of myself as being this big shot. And then I got married, and I realised what a lie that was. I don't know if any of, you, any, of you, any of you have done the same thing, but actually, there'd be moments when you know, me and Kate would go to bed, and Kate would be reading a book, and I'd just go, oh, it's time for bed, and I'd just turn the lights out. And that would be it. Or we'd be watching TV, Kate would be like, watching something she wants to watch, like Hollyoaks or EastEnders or something like that. And I'd just spawn in and turn over the TV and watch something that I want to watch. Or we have what we call a date night every week, and I sometimes cook. And uh, I know that Kate hates curries, but yeah, I feel like a curry, so I go and cook a curry. And it's terrible, so I just want to apologise for that, Kate. But uh, I never knew I could be so selfish. I never knew I could be so self-centred sometimes, and addicted to my way of doing things. Pride is a very subtle thing, and the danger is they can creep up on us without us realising it sometimes. I actually remember when I first surrendered my life to Jesus. Um, Probably the most humbled I've ever been. Knowing that there's no way I could save myself. That I needed forgiveness for my sins. And that Jesus died on the cross for me. He did it for me. And uh, I don't know if any of you can remember what you felt like when you realised that. Actually how small you felt. Also how loved you felt at the same time. And how significant in God's eyes you are. And uh, I also remember being shocked at how quickly I lost that sense of humility and vulnerability and how quickly I slipped back into pride and complacency and doing things my way. And it is a massive temptation after you've been a Christian for quite a while to have have the attitude, oh, I've been there, I've done that, I've heard all this talk before, I don't need to hear it again. You know, and to sometimes set ourselves up above less mature Christians. Um, and it's so easy to slip back into this attitude and it is a real killer it stops us from taking risks it makes us ask things such as what about my reputation what if I make a mistake I don't want to look childish and actually it stops us from doing what God's got, got for us then because actually there's some things we're going to have to take a risk on some things we're going to be unsure whether God has spoken to us about but God's asked us to participate and to bring and the church is there to weigh prophecy, but sometimes we can hold back thinking, actually, I don't want to look like a wally this morning. I'm not going to bring it. But actually, we need to step out, even if we do think we're going to be like a wally. Um, and it also stops us receiving what God's got in store for us. At the moment, uh, you probably guys might have heard, but actually there's a lot of words going around this group of churches, New Frontiers at the moment, about we're entering a new season of God's favour. Actually, we're going to see revival. Actually, there's going to be exponential growth amongst us as churches and it's really exciting and um, I actually wonder how many of us were initially sceptical about that thinking oh, I've seen that before I've heard that before but actually nothing's actually ever happened and I said it because I know I was and um, I had to stop myself thinking this way because I believe that God has got exciting times ahead for us as a church as, as a movement of churches and I don't want to miss out because my pride actually gets in the way and uh, but more importantly, above all these things, pride stops the church from functioning properly. In verse 15, Paul says this, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him 
who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I love this imagery that Paul uses. Many of you will be accustomed to it. He uses it in Corinthians. He also uses it in Romans. Let's just remind ourselves of it again. You know that our bodies are made up of different parts. We have our feet, our legs, our arms, our hands. And in order for our bodies to function properly, in order for our bodies to function properly, all these things have to work in tandem with each other. And it's like that in the church. And each of us has a different role to play. Each of us has a different part to play here. I have a different part to play in Leeds. You guys have a, each have got a unique part that God wants you to play in Doncaster. And uh, we're all united under one head, and that is Jesus Christ. None of us is more important than each other, but there is one that is more important than all of us, and that is Jesus Christ himself. So, I just really want to encourage you guys this morning that you're not part of this church by mistake. That each of you has been strategically placed here by God for a reason. That there's things here that each one of you, that God has got planned for you to do here in this church. That only you can do. And that he's given you the gifts to do that. And I strongly believe that if you don't know what that is this morning, God just wants to speak to you about what it is. What he wants you to be doing in this church. What he's called you to do. It's important. And the picture that Paul is showing here is that a church... It's a community of believers who are all united in purpose. If an individual stumbles, the rest of the group are there to pick them up. We all have gifts to build each other up. And if someone sins, they can find restoration in the church. They can find love. They can find care. They can find a people dedicated to that person to help them get back together again. There is no room for pride or egos in the church. But there is a lot of room for humility. In being humble, we'll be able to encourage those around us. Actually, however, pride might stop us from doing this. Actually, it might stop us from encouraging someone because we might feel, encouraged, we might feel like we're in competition with them. We might feel like, actually, we don't want to encourage them because we don't want to encourage them to become better than us. We might feel there's some sort of competition going on. So we need to be humble. And being humble, we'll be able to speak the truth to others in love. We'll be able to help it. If we see one of us is struggling a little bit or struggling in sin in a certain way, we'll be able to speak truth to them in love. However, pride might cause us to speak the truth without love. In fact, we might speak the truth judging that person while we do it. And what what happens when you judge is that you're actually setting yourself above that person. Actually, I'm better than you. You know, I'm just judging you. And so it's important that we're humble again. And in being humble, we want to use the gifts that God has given us to build the church up in love. Pride, however, might cause us to hold back in case we make a fool out of ourselves, like I've just mentioned. So guys, we must always check our hearts on this. It's so easy for pride to keep creeping into the church and hold us back. We must be vigilant that it doesn't happen. As Paul has stated, Jesus is the head of the church. And if there was ever one who had humbled himself, it was Jesus. It is Jesus, who did not grasp equality with God, but made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, by being obedient unto death, even death on the cross. In the church we are called to be servants like Jesus. There's no place for egos, for selfish ambition, for status. We all have an equally important part to play. All of us here are equally important. We all have an equally important part to play. And actually perhaps there are those of you sitting here today, as are those of us 
actually feel that pride has stopped us from doing what God has called you to do in this church. That you feel like you're stagnated in a certain way. That you're kind of ground to a halt. And I'm in real faith this morning that God wants to restore to you a childlike faith. An attitude where you're wholly dependent on Him once again. So being humble is one of the ways we can maintain our unity. The next is being gentle. And I think the problem with a lot of people have with the word gentle is that they acquaint a gentle person with being a wuss. Of being a bit of a sissy. And uh, a gentle person is seen as a bit of a walkover, aren't they? But Paul doesn't have in mind someone who is a walkover. What he has in mind is someone with strength and power that is under control. Someone with strength and power that is under control. And that is what being humble means. Moses was described as the most gentle of men on the earth. But what do we know of Moses? Well, we know that he was firm. That he was strong in leading the Israelites out of captivity. He wasn't a wuss. Paul was a gentle man. And he most definitely wasn't a wuss as well. What do we know of him? He could say some very strong things. He could be firm and powerful. But he was also gentle. And actually by looking at the original Greek for the word that Paul uses here in this passage, the word is praus. And it's the same word to describe a wild horse that has been broken into and tamed. Like you might see in a cowboy film. You see those cowboy films where the cowboy jumps onto the back of a horse and the horse goes crazy and flaps all its legs around. And uh, goes crazy for quite a long period of time and the cowboy is being flung all over the place. And eventually, the horse yields to the cowboy. The horse yields. Where it was once fierce, where it was once wild, where it was once out of control. After it has yielded to its rider, it can actually carry small children around and it will diligently serve its master. And I think that's a great analogy for what it's like with us in the Holy Spirit, actually. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts, when we allow him onto our saddle, as it were, when we yield to him, our out-of-control nature is tamed. And this is why gentleness is the fruit of the Spirit. A gentle person has every instinct and every passion under the control of the Holy Spirit. A gentle person has every instinct and every passion under the control of the Holy Spirit. And every one of us wields power in different forms. It could be physical power. It could be emotional power. And when we don't yield this to the Holy Spirit, we can actually cause a lot of damage. Without gentleness, we tend to be more reactive than responsive. If someone hits us, we might instinctively hit back. If someone insults us, we might just lash back aggressively. Or if things aren't going our way, we actually might take it out on someone who's, someone who's not put, someone who hasn't said something to us, might take it out on other people. And actually very few things can create disunity as quickly as being harsh and rude in our behaviour to others. As much as we think they deserve it. <laughs> and Jesus is again the example we should follow here. He said in Matthew 11:29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus was gentle. I said open this, and if anyone is a better example of power under control than Jesus. Jesus said some shocking things. He said some very hard things. He was very firm with people. He also got angry. But what we know in all these things is that he did it in love. 
that love was at the center of it all. And so it should be with the same with us. We shouldn't be afraid to be firm or say some very hard things to each other. But we should make sure it comes from an attitude of love inside us. An attitude of will into the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't be easily take offense. We shouldn't be oversensitive to what others say to us. But instead we should lean on our security in God and not hit back. <clears throat> We've got God behind us, so what's the point of hitting back? We've got a great God. We should take it on the chin, or as Jesus t- says, turn the other cheek and respond in a firm and loving way. And if we disagree with someone in the church, we should not get angry and flustered if they don't see the truth. But if we are following the Holy Spirit's guidance, we should persistently try and win them round, not put their noses out of joint. The attitude of a gentle heart says this, In Christ, I am so strong and secure that I do not need to take offence at your insults or run, over, or run you over to get my way. In Christ, I am so strong and secure that I do not need to take any offence at your insults or run you over to get my way. That should be our attitude. And the best way we can cultivate a gentle heart is by focusing on Jesus, yielding to the Holy Spirit, and then putting things into practice. So focusing on Jesus, here's a great example, yielding to the Holy Spirit, and then putting things into practice. So we should go out of our way to encourage others. If we had a row with someone, we should ask for their forgiveness. If we are holding things against someone who has said some hurtful things, we should forgive them. And I just want to say, talking about exponential growth and the promises that God has spoken over to us as a, even at churches, we don't want to be a people that hold ourselves back because we're harboring bitterness and unforgiveness against others. What unforgiveness does is that it holds us in the past. When we're unforgiven, when we haven't forgiven someone, we actually always go back to that moment in time when we were hurt. And it holds us in the past. And what God wants to do to us is release us to the future for the great hope that he's got us called to. So yeah, just bear that in mind. And lastly, but no means least, to keep the unity of the Spirit, we must be patient, bearing one another in love. And I love this one. I love it because it actually frees me from the need to be perfect. People don't need to be endured with, but they don't need to be bared with if they are perfect. They don't need people to be patient with them. And in Ephesians 4, Paul is not showing how perfect people can live together in unity. But what he is showing is how really imperfect people like me can maintain the unity of the Spirit. Actually, who here would say they are perfect? No. I thought as much. Hey, actually, you're pretty perfect. (laughs) And we have all a work in progress. God is working on us. We all have our own flaws. None of us has got everything together. So we need to be patient with one another. Yeah, patience breaks unity. Impatience causes people to grumble and be frustrated with one another. It causes friction in the church. So it's important that we regularly remind ourselves how patient God is with us. Nehemiah 9.17 says, You are a God of forgiveness, merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and unfailing in your loyal love. And God's patience with us is long-suffering. It's an expression of his love for us, how patient he is with us. If God was impatient, he would have destroyed us at the fall. He would have destroyed us when Adam and Eve first sinned. But instead, his patience with us led to our salvation. 
that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us. That's how patient God is with us. A, pa- a patient attitude doesn't give up on people. And this is actually fully tested in the church where those of us are struggling with different things. Where sometimes we might feel there are certain people, certain ones of us who are struggling with different things, with the same problems, and they keep tripping up. And our attitude should actually be the same as God's. To keep showing grace to them and always holding out a hand to help them up. To keep on helping them get to their feet. To keep on pointing them towards Jesus. Towards truth. And sometimes it can be frustrating in church because you want things to move faster. And God has promised that we will see... You might have the attitude that God has promised that we will see people saved. So why aren't we seeing this happen? And this is actually isn't a wrong attitude to have. But who are we directing this to? Are we blaming others? Are we pointing out their faults? Or are we giving our anxiety, our request to God, knowing that it is only through his sovereignty, his power, that the church is going to grow? And Jesus is the ultimate example of patience. 1 Timothy 1, Paul says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And, um, yeah, we are to be imitators of Christ. He sets us a great example of how we're to live with each other. Where we've been forgiven much, we should also forgive others. Where he keeps on showing mercy to us, we should also keep on showing mercy to others. Where she keeps on showing us unlimited patience, he should also sh- we should also show unlimited patience to those around us. And patience isn't just a flash in the pan thing. I think anyone could actually show patience for a moment, for a day. But actually, patience requires that we are humble and gentle in the way we treat others all the time. It's an ongoing thing. So... In conclusion, I just feel that God wants to challenge us this morning. Are we making every effort to keep the unity that God has brought us into? Are we making every effort? As I said earlier, this isn't to do with our own peace of mind. It affects God's great goal of having a united, mature body that will glorify his name. And I actually am in a lot of faith I've said this before when I come here, that God wants a big church here in Doncaster. He wants a big church. And you guys are here for a reason. You've been strategically placed here by God to proclaim the gospel and to demonstrate it to this town. And you're also on the front line. This, is a, this must be hard being in a church plant, just starting things off. And actually, it's good to get the essentials there right from the very outset because it's actually one of the ways in which the devil might want to trip you up is by ruining relationships. So this is something you guys must really focus on. To build a big church in Doncaster, this is the things you need to get right, right from the very outset. And individually, you've all been strategically placed here in this church. You've been strategically placed here to use the giftings that God's given you to play your part here by humbly, gently and patiently building others up in love. By your love for one another, you will display the very character of God to your neighbours, to your workmates, and to each other. And Paul asks us to bear with each other in love. 
So if we're going to do a great work for God, we must, pas- we must be passionate in the science of walking love. Love believes all things. Love hope all, hopes all things. Love endures all things. And there's no better way to make sure that we're walking in love than constantly yielding to the Holy Spirit and focusing on Jesus Christ. <coughs> because God is love. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Just wonder if we could just stand. Yeah. Yeah, Lord, I just want to thank you for this remarkable truth. Lord, that you are love, Lord God. That you love us. Lord, that the very centre of your character is love. That you love relationships. And that you've called us into a great relationship with you. Lord, now you've also called us to love one another. And to look out for one another. And I just want to pray for this church, Lord God. That you would build this church to be a church that people know uh, as a unified church. As a church where love is exemplified, Lord. Where love, people can see your love, Lord. In the way people treat each other. Or in the way people look out for each other. And I just pray that you would indeed put this church in a stand before this town, Lord. You will grow your church here, Lord. And you will build these guys into a unit for you, Lord. A unit which shows your love. And uh, Holy Spirit, I just invite you here now. Will you just come and minister to each one of our hearts? Lord, where there's any bitterness, Lord, any unforgiveness, any pride, anything which stops us from clinging to you, Lord God, will you just demolish that by your Spirit? Holy Spirit, will you come and just take away those things? And will you just help us to keep the unity uh, of your Spirit by being patient with each other, by being humble, and by being gentle with one another? In Jesus' name. Amen. you enjoyed this podcast don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 